Well, Happy New Year to all of you here and online. I want to begin this new year with a trip down memory lane for those of us old enough to remember. If you're under about 35, you're going to say, what in the world is he talking about? But if you're older, you remember something that was once called Y2K. <laughs> Young people, you have no idea why they laughed, right? So here's the story. For a couple of years, people were really worried that when the clocks and computers and everything switched over from 1999 to 2000, everything was going to go crazy. Computers would crash, life support systems would fail, telephone systems wouldn't work, and so people were writing software and selling software programs and worrying. And we were getting a little nervous because there was big hype about this. And uh, the last day, December 31st, 1999, a new warning came out because everyone was going to check their phones at 10 seconds after midnight to see if they still worked. And we were told, if everyone checks your phone at 10 seconds after midnight, they won't work. <laughs> because hundreds of millions of people are overloading the system. And so people held their breath, literally, especially computer programmers. And when the midnight hour struck in the Republic of Curitabi, that's the easternmost island nation where the first time zone switches to the new millennium, nothing happened. And as the time zones switched all around the world, one hour at a time, nothing happened. Like almost nothing. Like maybe one person's car clock, if you had one back in 1999, didn't shift over correctly. But pretty much nothing happened. So a new day, a new month, a new decade, a new century, a new millennium, and nothing changed. Like it worked. Things worked. Anyone remember that story? Yeah, of course. What a crazy story, all of you who have never heard of this, right? Like, <laughs> just because the calendar changes doesn't mean the world changes. In fact, I'm guessing most of us went to bed pretty relaxed, either before or after midnight last night, not worrying too much whether our cell phones would still work. In fact, most of us didn't even have to reset any clocks. It just happens kind of automatically. Like, the new year begins and nothing changes. Except it could. Things could change with the new year. We could take stock of where we've come and who's helped us along the way, and we could be guided to a new future where things actually do change. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, and I'm centering it around the theme of stones, like stones. We're going to see a few pictures of stones, you know, these round things that you collect or stack, or those flat things that you might skip on the water, or the big boulders that we might use to decorate our yards, ordinary stones that sometimes do extraordinary things. Now, before I preach about stones, I want us to memorize a verse about stones. Literally, all of us together. So let me read it for you one time. If you're really fast, just say it with me the next after that. But we're going to do it kind of like line by line. As you come to him, the living stone, 
rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, line by line. I say it, you say it after me. Come to him. Making it longer. As you come to him, you are being built. Okay, big jump now. As you come to him, you also, like living stones, are being built. Into what? Say it with me. As you come to him, you also, sorry, are being built into a spiritual house. Okay, now we're going to learn a little bit more about that living stone who was rejected. Okay, say it with me. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Two more, because we're going to find out more about that spiritual house. So, twice more, say it with me. Next one. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. And one more, say the whole thing. If you can do it from memory, do. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what do people typically do with stones? So when I was living in Scotland, I would say the two top answers would be building houses and building walls around the fields. They would use the stones. They had to clear off the fields anyway to make this gorgeous wall around the field. When I was a rock picker as a young teenager earning 50 cents an hour to protect farmers' equipment from the rocks in the field, we didn't make beautiful walls or anything like that. We just stacked them up in the corner of the field. In Bible times, stones were used for some of the same things, like house building and wall building, but they were used for other things as well. Remember what David once did with his Five smooth stones, well, actually with just one of them, right? He brought down the giant Goliath. And the ancient Israelites didn't build walls only around their fields. They built them around whole cities, fortifying the city. Sometimes they built castles, temples. They used stones for arrowheads or spearheads for hunting or for war. They used them to mark the corner of their fields and many other things. But one additional thing they did was they used stones to help them remember, to commemorate special events, great victories, great commitments. So I've entitled my sermon, Stones That Help Us Remember. Come to think of it, we do the same today, don't we? 
like in a cemetery, carving the names and dates, maybe a Bible verse or a saying to help us remember those who have passed on. Or what about when people get engaged? That's a stone, a very hard stone, a very expensive stone. Sometimes birthstone rings to remind us of our children and grandchildren. Back in Bible times, they used stones to help them remember. So this morning, I have three stories for you. I will read a little bit of Scripture. I'll retell other parts of Scripture. And we will discover the ways stones were used to remember. I told my daughter I'd try to make it a little bit interesting even for kids. And the best way to do that is tell all sorts of embarrassing stories about her. But instead, I'm going to tell an embarrassing story about a man named Jake. Jacob, in the Bible, whose name means deceiver. So he lived up to his name. Back in his day, it was a custom that when fathers got old, they would bless their children in a very particular way, and the oldest son would get not only the special blessing, but a double-sized inheritance. Now, Jacob wasn't the oldest son. He had an older brother, Esau. Not much older. They were twins, but like one has to be a little bit older. So Jacob decided to see if he could get that special blessing by deception, working along with his mother, who somehow played along with this proposal. Now, he had a problem. They were twins, but they were pretty different. In fact, one of the most noticeable differences was that Jacob had smooth skin and Esau had hairy skin that apparently was more like the skin of a goat than that of his twin brother. I kid you not. Whoops, the kid wasn't intended as a pun there. <laughs> so, Isaac, the father, plans the special celebration. He's going to have a venison meal, that's deer meat. Esau, his older son, was going to go hunting and bring him his favorite dinner. And while he was gone, Mother Rebecca and Jacob put their plan into motion. They would use goats to fake the whole thing. One goat would become the food that would fake the meal. Another goat's skin would be placed on the arms of Jacob, so he felt a whole lot more like Esau. And Isaac must have been pretty old and his senses somewhat failing because four of his five senses were fooled. He couldn't see well enough, so he thought it was probably Esau. He couldn't smell so well, but Jacob and his mother had a plan. They put on Esau's clothes so that just in case it would smell a little bit like Esau. He couldn't feel particularly well because he felt the goat skin and was pretty sure that was his son Esau. And even the goat meat tasted like venison to him. Only one of his senses wasn't quite fooled, and that was the voice. He said, you know, it sure sounds a lot like Jacob, but he allowed the four other senses to overrule the only one that was actually working. And he gave Jacob the blessing. And Esau arrived just a bit too late to prevent the whole fate event. And he was mad. And Rebecca, being not a very wise mother, but in this case, having a little bit of good advice, said, you better run. And that's what Jacob did. And that's when we get to the first stone 
story. So this is the one I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the other stories in much detail. When Jacob reached a certain place, this is while he's fleeing from his brother, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. That's Grandpa Abraham, Father Isaac, and now Jacob. I will give you and your descendants the land that you are lying on. And God really just recommits to Jacob all the things he had already promised Abraham and Isaac. His descendants would be like the dust of the earth. They would spread out to east and west and north and south. They would be a blessing to all the nations. But God had special promises just for Jacob. I will be with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised. So what does Jacob do? He wakes up and he says, this is the gateway to heaven. He takes that stone, which had been his pillow, not quite sure I'd have a different pillow, but that's worked for him, set it up and made a memorial out of it and called it House of God. Anyone know how you say House of God in Hebrew? Bethel. Bethel. Beth, house, El, name of God. Jacob set up his House of God memorial. And it became the stone that would help him remember. God had made great promises. God would keep his promises. I will watch over you. I will never leave you. I will use you and your descendants to bless all the nations on the earth. Now, there was going to be lots more trouble ahead for Jacob. He was the deceiver, but in future he was going to be deceived over and over again. But one day, God did, in fact, lead him right back to this very spot. And many generations later, his descendants became truly those through whom all the nations of the earth were blessed. Among those descendants were priests and prophets and kings, and ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ. For both Mary, his mother, and Joseph, the father who raised him, descended from this very Jacob. So, the first stone, Jacob's pillow stone, says, I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will never leave you. Now, here's a secret you might not have known. At North Fresno Church, we also have stones to help us remember. I'm not referring to these. There are stones that help us remember, including, among others, Bethel. Didn't know that. I'm going to come back to that later. But let's go to story number two. I'm not going to read this one. It's pretty long, but a summary will get the main point across. So Jacob became a very large family, 12 sons, couple of daughters, even bigger than my family. Eventually, they were a whole clan that made their way because of a famine to Egypt, and things went well for a little while, and then things went very badly as they became slaves in Egypt. 
And God raised up Moses to become the one who would lead them out of Egypt and on their way to the land God had promised to Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendants. And the greatest miracle of the Old Testament, the most celebrated miracle of the Old Testament, happened as they were fleeing Egypt. We call it the Exodus. God parted the Red Sea and made a path for Israel to escape the fleeing Egyptians. So they spent a full generation in the desert on their way to the Promised Land, and the next stone story happens just as they're entering that Promised Land. This time, it's not one stone, it's not a pillow stone, it becomes an altar. Twelve stones. So this is how it happened. They're waiting to get in the Promised Land, and lo and behold, there's a water barrier again. And just as God opened a path to allow them to flee Egypt, God now opened a path to enable them to enter the Promised Land. The Jordan River was at flood stage. God stopped the water. Israel marched through on dry ground. But here's what God told Israel through their leader, Joshua. Select 12 men, one from each tribe. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people forever. So that's what they did. They lugged 12 huge stones on their shoulders, built an altar to God, and that altar reminded them of God's new deliverance. God was bringing the next generation miraculously through the waters, but the whole point was so that every generation would know that God is a delivering God. So they set it up so future generations would ask. Let me read a few more verses. In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord did to the Jordan what he had already done to the Red Sea when he dried it up for your parents. He did this so that all the peoples on earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. So Joshua's 12-stone altar reminded them that God miraculously intervenes, that God's blessings are intended for all nations, and that we are invited to pass it on to the next generation. So did you know that North Fresno has a 12-stone altar? Well, not exactly 12. It's actually even more than 12. But I'll come back to that later. We get to the third story. This is Samuel's Ebenezer. You notice the first song we sang? Come thou fount of... How did the second verse start? Here I raise my Ebenezer. 
So you need an explanation for Ebenezer, I think. It's not the first name of Mr. Scrooge. Actually, you might need an explanation on the next line, too. Hither by thy help I've come. If you don't understand Elizabethan English, that means all the way to here, God has been helping me. But the first part, here I raise my Ebenezer, means exactly that. Stone of help. So here's the story. Israel was now in the promised land, enjoying the bounty of the land. Sometimes. Well, occasionally. Mostly they were fighting for their lives, trying to ward off enemies, not trusting God very much, forgetting that God always keeps promises, and turning away from faithfulness. They should have sung the second song we sang, O come, all you unfaithful. So that's actually what Samuel did. He said, come, all you unfaithful. You need a come to Jesus moment. Except Jesus hadn't been born yet, so he said, it's time to get right with God. So he prayed for them. He performed sacrifices on behalf of the people. He led them in a time of fasting and confession, encouraged them to trust God. And then we read this. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up and named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Now, I've personally never named stones myself, but if I did, I think that would be a good name. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Did you know we have an Ebenezer at North Fresno Church? Not Scrooge, someone else. All along the way, our God has helped us. In fact, the Ebenezer stone kind of closes the loop, doesn't it? The Bethel stone was a promise stone. I will always be with you. I will care for you. I'll always be there for you. And Ebenezer says, so far he's done it. So far he's done it. And Joshua's stones say, and that's going to be true for every generation from here on. So where are these North Fresno stones I'm talking about? Well, I can see them from here. Look around. Can you see them? You, 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 you are the stones that God was talking about. Remember the verse we memorized? Come to him, the living stone. You also are living stones. We, together, are being built into that spiritual house that we might well call Bethel, the house of God. We are, in fact, the altar on which spiritual sacrifices are made, as our memory verse already said. And surely we can look around at ourselves, at each other, at North Fresno Church, and say, thus far the Lord has helped us. And the next generation will be able to say it as well, because God will lead us on from here. Now there's only one reason why we can be living stones and that's because Jesus was the living stone first and foremost. Jesus really is the house of God, the place where we meet God, 
Jesus is that stone of help who has helped us all along the journey. Jesus is the one to whom we draw attention for all the generations to come. But make no mistake, Jesus didn't want to be the only living stone. That's why he recruited first 12 more to be that living sacrifice, that altar, and then through them hundreds and thousands and millions to come. We are the living stones. And we truly can help each other remember. We do it by gathering and worshiping together and thus remembering the goodness of God. We do it by sharing with one another the ways in which God has been faithful to us, guiding us on our journey, protecting us all along the way. We do it by being that spiritual house where offerings and sacrifices are brought to God, even as we bring the offerings of ourselves and our time and our talents and our resources. There's a whole pile of stones here, living stones. And there's a pile there too, but Jamie's going to have to tell us what that's about. So I want us to end by saying the verse together one more time. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Amen.